ever heard of the phrase, the White Cliffs of Dover? Anyone heard that phrase? I was uh, preaching in the Dover uh, area in England a couple of years ago. Uh, uh, and then to having a meal with my wife, Kay, we're in this restaurant. And as is typical for us, we weren't actually talking to each other. We were listening to other people's conversations in the restaurant. Do you ever do that? And I noticed a group of elderly gentlemen in their mid-80s, veterans, and as I listened to their conversation, I realized that this was a group that met once every year. They used to be part of the regiment that guarded that that part of our country when the the German Messerschmitts came over to uh, attack our airfields. They were the first line of defense. And there came a moment when I got up to fill my coffee cup and one of these gentlemen we met at the coffee station and I just simply said, sir, could I just explain to you that I've been listening to your conversation and, uh, but I want to just say on behalf of my generation to yours, thank you so much for the sacrifices that you have made. You don't hear thank you enough and this lovely man, his eyes somewhat glazed by cataracts and tears, he He went back to the group of his colleagues at the table. He said, hey, he said, there's an American guy over there who wants to say thank you. (laughs) Well, you know what, everybody? Thank you's a good idea. So why don't we put our hands together one more time? Well, last weekend we began uh, this series of beauty and brokenness. We were looking last weekend at God's ability to redeem suffering uh, and brokenness. And this weekend uh, we're going to be thinking about the special beauty of the brokenness that comes from humility. We're going to be looking together at Philippians chapter uh, 2, Holy Humility. Uh, Many of you have heard me talk often about the fact that I have to go back to the UK uh, frequently. The reason I have to do that is ministry back there, particularly radio ministry uh, in Europe, and also uh, because I'm part of the leadership team of a conference called Spring Harvest. It's an annual conference that happens around the Easter period, Spring Harvest, and uh, uh, we just finished it a few weeks ago. We had about 50,000 people come from all across the nation for a week of of teaching and celebration. And because I have to be back in England so frequently, we have a little apartment in the south of England near a a place called Pulborough in southern England. Well, I I was on the London train going in to record some radio programs. I didn't have a ticket because the the ticket machine at our little station was broken. And here comes the ticket collector. And I'm feeling a little nervous because in England... If you travel on a train and you don't have a ticket, they could execute you or something. You know, it's a, it's a bad deal. And here comes the ticket collector and he is, he's not looking happy. He's barking at people. Tickets! Tickets! And uh, as he came up to me without a smile, I noticed that he was wearing a dove and a fish badge in his lapel. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, so uh, he looked at me and he said, Ticket! And I said, sir, I need to buy one. And as he's printing me a ticket, I said, by the way, I said, I noticed your badges. I said, are you a Christian? And he said, yes. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, okay. I don't know what I, what I was expecting. I, you know, group hug, kumbaya or something. But 
I said, oh, okay. And just to make conversation, I said, do you go to a church around here? He said, yes. I said, well, how's it going? Your church, how's it doing? He said, not good. So I said, oh, really? Why, Why is that? He said, well, he said, I am more advanced as a Christian than everybody else in my church. It's not very good. So I thought, well, look, I'm going to just play stupid here, which is a gift. You know, it's pretty easy. <laughs> so I said, well, I said, now, now bear in mind, he doesn't know that I'm a Christian. I said, I said how would you, you get more advanced in that then? He said, well, he said, every year I go to a conference which has helped me to become more advanced. It is called Spring Harvest. I said, I do a bit of stuff with Spring Harvest myself, you know. He said, you do? I said, yes! <laughs> it's kind of catching, you know. He said, well, let me tell you something. If you do some stuff with Spring Harvest. He said, the next station is Paulbra Station. And Paulbra Station is Jeff Lucas's station. <laughs> he has an apartment near here, you know. I said, oh, really? And I, I was so tempted, I wanted to say, how about that, Jeff? Is he beautiful or what, you know? <laughs> so I said, well, I said, that's me. He said, what? I said, that's me, Jeff, Lucas. It's on the credit card, there's a hint. And... <laughs> he said, no, you're not. And at first I thought he might be right because he's more advanced, you know, so, I mean, he knows stuff. He went on down the train. Something else happened during that journey, which I might just tell you about later. Whatever else he was advanced in, I think we can agree, humility, he wasn't doing that good at. As we come to Philippians chapter 2 today, the key message of it is humility, the call to have the right attitude. Look at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. A stunning call and challenge. Let's do a bit of groundwork here. You see, the theologians through the years have fretted endlessly about Philippians chapter 2 because it does indeed contain one of the finest Christological passages in the New Testament describing both the deity and the humanity of Christ. And indeed, there is magnificent theology to be found here. But let's understand that Paul's primary primary purpose here was not to give a theological exegesis containing words to inform us about the nature of Christ, although that is there, but his primary purpose was to write to them about the attitudes that they need to demonstrate in their relationships. And the key word is humility. We know, don't we, that humility is a profoundly biblical idea. Luke chapter 14 and verse 11, Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. 
But even as the Philippians would have read these words, there was potential for confusion. Because humility was an unfamiliar idea. In Greek thinking, being humble was not celebrated as a strength or attribute. In fact, there is no record of the idea of humility being written about in any Greek literature prior to the New Testament. And I think it's true that as there was confusion back then, so we can be confused about humility too. Have you ever met people who... They, they, they think they're humble, but actually it's just that they're, they're bland. I, I, don't, I don't have an opinion because I'm, I'm just never so humble. And you say, well, just, just say something. Or, or, or a sense of civility. You know, they're always putting themselves down. Every now and again I preach in churches where they, they have a prayer meeting before the service. And, and what we do is we get together to tell God how terrible we are for five minutes. Oh, Lord... We are terrible persons, we are wiggly worms, we are scum. (laughs) Almost a kind of humility thing. Or that humility is to deny your personality, the annihilation of personality. Um, Again, sometimes I go preach in these places, normally only once, frankly. and, (laughs) And they'll pray for me and they'll say, Oh God, we don't want to see Jeff tonight. I think, well that's cool, I'll go home then, you know. Oh, and I'm not being irreverent as I say this, but they'll say, hide him behind the cross. And I think, you know, could I just peek out and wave once in a while? (laughs) What is that about? Or the inability to receive encouragement because you're so humble. And so the lady went up to a preacher and she said, Pastor, she said, I I enjoyed your sermon. No, madam, he said, don't thank me. It was the Lord. She said, well, actually, it wasn't that good. (laughs) You ever meet people that are kind of proud of being humble? Helen Nielsen says, humility is like underwear. Essential, but indecent if it shows. I really like that. (laughs) The only way to navigate through church life, through marriage, through the engagement with politics, with culture, in evangelism is humility. So let's think for a few moments about holy humility. First of all, holy humility is reciprocal. Holy humility is reciprocal. Treating others as we have been treated. It's reciprocal. Treating others as we have been treated. Look at, uh, look at these verses. Verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's something really interesting here because the Apostle Paul is not just saying what would Jesus do. He isn't simply saying God's like this, imitate that. There's a step further here that's way more pertinent. The Apostle Paul is saying God has treated you like this. Therefore you respond to others. Grace has kissed you now pass it around. And that is a consistent theological idea. 
actually in both Old and New Testaments. The God of the covenant, God acting first in the Old Testament, I the Lord, and then calling his people to make responses to his redemptive engagement. And then in the New Testament, Matthew 18, the parable of the unfaithful, uh, excuse me, the unmerciful servant who is forgiven much but doesn't pass it on and is condemned as a result. 1 John 4:19 We love why? Because he first loved us. Romans 15:7 Accept one another then. Why? Well, because Christ accepted you. You see humility is rooted in gratitude and response to God. And there are some hints here about what it looks like. Certainly it's vital. I want to suggest to you that spirituality without humility tends to be destructive. Have you ever met Christians who kind of seem to be worse because they're Christians? That's a tough statement to make. But because there's not an authentic humility in their lives, they get to learn a bit and grow a bit and suddenly develop an inflated view of themselves. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 3, consider others better. The Greek word calculate or reckon. Humility is the opposite of endless self-obsession. Look at verse 4. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Isn't it boring when you get around people who only ever talk about themselves? And then they say, enough about me. Now tell me, what do you think about me? (laughs) What about our tone? The tone of our voices? Do we go to our world humbly as servants or aggressively with a rant? Humility is reciprocal. And it might be that there are specific situations in our lives where we know we don't just need more humility broadly. I mean, that's true for everybody. And if you don't think that's true, then you need the humility to discover that it's true. You'll notice that at the front here we have bowls and water and towels. The bowl and the towel is a symbol in the New Testament of servanthood. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. At the end of this service, we're not going to do some foot washing. But what we are going to do is there will be an invitation in a few minutes from now. If there is a specific situation where you know, specifically, you need to embrace the way of humility. At the end of this service, I'm going to invite you to do something different this weekend. To come out to the front here. And to allow a a member of our pastoral team to pour some water on your hands. A symbol that says, I want to wash away my pride in this context. It might be that you're married and your partner is here and you might like to come forward together. By the way, not to nudge your partner to say, you need to get a bit of this humility. (laughs) No, for you. Perhaps to wash your hands. And then theirs, as a way of saying, I want to embrace the way of humility and our partnership together. Holy humility is reciprocal. Secondly, holy humility is perfectly demonstrated in Jesus. It's perfectly demonstrated in Jesus. Look at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exhorted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My brothers and sisters, these words were very important to the early church. Most commentators agree these words take the form of an early Christian hymn that was used most likely at baptisms or during Eucharist, communion, breaking of bread. And what we're seeing here is that uh, the church celebrated, celebrated humility, expressly the humility of Christ. Again, some snapshots here. Humility is letting go of the need to prove yourself. Jesus was the Son of God. He gradually became more and more aware of that, finally concluding as the heavens split open at baptism, Father said, this is my beloved Son, I'm pleased with you. And yet he didn't consider that equality, that position, something to be grasped. Can you imagine the temptation when he's being attacked by the religious bigots of his day to just produce his credentials and say, don't you know who I am? And yet he didn't do that. He did gradually reveal his identity to his disciples. It's letting go of the need to prove yourself. Is every social interaction in our lives an opportunity to once again show our credentials and how much we know and how good we are? It's about becoming a servant. Paul uses this term. He became a servant. Matthew 20, the word used there, when it says the Son of Man came to serve, it means waiting on tables, doing the ordinary stuff. And notice that humility is intentional. It says, he humbled himself. As I've studied this this week, I've, I've come to the conclusion that there are two ways to humility. The first is that God humbles you, and the second is that you humble yourself. How many would like to vote for the latter opportunity? You see, 1 Peter chapter 5, 6, humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So as we look at Jesus, we see this intentional uh, humility perfectly demonstrated. Thirdly, thirdly, holy humility is humanly impossible. Holy humility is humanly impossible. It is worked in us by God's Spirit. It's worked in us by God's Spirit. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Boy, that's terrifying. But look at what Paul immediately says. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. Humility doesn't come naturally. The famous boxing promoter Don King, he said, I never cease to amaze my own self. And he said, I say that humbly. (laughs) Our own Winston Churchill, Prime Minister during the war, he said, we are all worms, but I do believe that I am a glowworm. Being humble doesn't happen as we just copy God. That's not the Christian message. God's like this, be like it, just do it. The Christian message, verse 13, 
is that God is at work in us. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the intervention. It's the activity of God in our daily lives that makes the difference. That's why if you don't know Christ today, you need to know him because Christianity is not just about becoming good. Christianity is realizing that you can't ultimately become good without the work of Christ saving you and being at work within you. Jesus walks with his Father. Study it in John's Gospel sometime. And then he says to us, Abide in me, and I in you, John 15. And then the fruit will come. Christianity is not just about sweaty effort. And it might even be that today, if you're not a Christian, you might want to make that choice. And you can use this little simple response time. You could come in a moment or two and wash your hands as a way of declaring dependency upon Christ. Fourthly, holy humility. There are some human examples here with Timothy and Epaphroditus. Just very briefly, we looked at Timothy recently in a series. But verses 19 and 20, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may, al may also be cheered when I receive news about you, for I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Humility is genuine. It's not just socially expeditious. How you doing? Good to see you. God bless you. It's genuine. It's authentic. It's real. And then Epaphroditus, verse 25. I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Look at verse 26. Men, this is a remarkable verse for men who get sick. For he longs for all of you and is distressed. Why? Because you heard that he was ill. Now that's wrong. That ought to read because... He was ill. How many know that men, when they're sick, are completely useless? Most of us. Not all of us. I, I, I know that. But thank God that you ladies do the childbirth thing. Many men give thanks to God for that on a daily basis. Because the human race would stop if it was left to men. I am useless when I'm sick. I discovered this week that I had a root canal back in England which has not worked and so I've got to have it done again this Wednesday. That should be made illegal. That is wrong. Listen for the piercing scream that will ring across northern Colorado, 10 a.m. Wednesday, because I am a man! And Epaphroditus is so selfless that he's worried about the grief that his sickness, which, by the way, was almost to death, He's not worried about the sickness. He's worried about the grief that his sickness might bring to others. Holy humility, some human examples. Well, finally, the fifth point here. Holy humility, stars shining in the darkness. Stars shining in the darkness. Look at verse 15. That you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. You see, my brothers and sisters, we are not called to live beautifully just for the sake of ourselves. 
God's intention has always been that we live in such a way that others will see the way that we live, take notice and be drawn to Christ as a result. When I first became a Christian 300 years ago, they said to me, they said, they said, don't look at the church, look at Jesus. And I thought, how do I do that? He is currently invisible. God's intention has always been that the, that the world looks at the church and says, aha, now that's the way you're supposed to live. And that's always been his intention. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 6 describes us as being a lighthouse people as we live lives of light. And do you remember? Jesus said in John 9, he said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew 5 he says, you are the light of the world. God's intention has always been that we, if you will, we live a dancing life so that others will want to join in and take a few steps themselves. I'd like, you to, I'd like to take you to London. How many of you would kind of like to... Wouldn't it be fun? Would you like to come to London with me? Pastor Darry's paying, so that'll be... <laughs> just kidding. We're going to go to London for a few seconds because uh, recently T-Mobile uh, went to a, a busy London station, Liverpool Street, and they planted some professional dancers because they wanted to see whether the commuters... And it's for a commercial, but they wanted to see would the busy commuters watch the dancers and then start to feel the need to dance themselves in jolly old England. It's kind of fascinating. Uh, I, I want to show you what happened as, uh, as we danced the dance so that others might join in. And by the way, please look out for the really cute seniors and also the guy with really big hair that I actually covet on a daily basis. Uh, let's go to London together. Take a look right now.
you just love the way those Brits just walked off at the end like those. Life's for sharing. Uh, every time I see that, it brings a smile. I see seniors who are not used to dancing on stations in public taking a few steps because we're called to live beautifully so that others might say, hey, can I, can I maybe try a few steps myself? I told you there was something else that happened on the train. The ticket collector went on down the carriage. I don't condemn him. I don't know. He might have had a bad day or a rough life. But at the next station, uh, a family got on the train. I, I, I listened to them. They were from Eastern Europe somewhere. She was holding a baby in her arms. They didn't look like they had very much. And I was thinking about the advanced Christian. When suddenly this lady in her own language started to sing a lullaby to her child. And I recognized the melody, not the words. The melody was of that lovely hymn, At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. And I looked across at her and I thought, I want to connect the fact that I love Jesus too. And I just smiled and nodded and she smiled and nodded back. You see, my brothers and sisters, humility only happens as we stay close to the cross because without the cross we are nothing and with it we are not something, we are just saved. And so in a moment we're going to stand together and we're going to sing and if you would like, our pastoral team are going to come right now and if there's a specific situation where you say, I know I need to embrace humility in that specific context. Or maybe couples, you know that for you, sir, or for you, ma'am, pride has crept in and a new humility needs to be embraced. In a moment or two when we stand, I'm going to invite you to come and allow water to be poured on your hands and then take the towel to dry your hands as a way of saying, I want, I make this a symbol of the fact that I want to embrace humility in that specific. Would you stand with me if you're able, please? That's awesome.